Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. up the first category today. The first four commandments are really about our relationship with God. It's all about our relationship with God and man's relationship to him. And then you get into the last six, uh, you know, commandments through, or five through ten, you get into our commandment, or our relationship with others. How we relate to others and how our relationship, and first of all, we've got to get our relationship with God right, then our relationship with others will be right. Matter of fact, this is why so many people are struggling at relationships today. This is why I believe that the divorce rate is so high even within churches and people who name themselves as Christians. We can't get our relationships right with other people because our relationship with God is broken. It all kind of flows from one to the other. It's kind of like, uh, like I said, the commandment number one is that watershed and everything begins to flow like a waterfall and like a river down through that current that comes from commandment number one. So today we look at that last commandment that is about our relationship with God. And all of these commandments are designed for two things. Number one, to show us God's holy and complete nature. And number two, to show us just how bad we really are. The true nature of our hearts, which the Bible tells us our hearts are desperately wicked and deceitful, and we cannot even properly know our own heart ourselves, much less know the heart of other people. So it shows us that God is holy and we are not, and so then the deduction that we pull from that is we need help. We need a Savior. We need to be restored. We need to be redeemed. We are broken beyond repair except for God's holy hands, God's hands of creativity, God's hands of healing can fix us, can put us back together. As Isaiah said, he makes beauty from ashes. He brings us in and makes us a beautiful masterpiece before him. So this morning... As we see just how much we missed the mark, we're going to see today, guess what? We're going to miss the mark on commandment number four. No matter how much you think I'm observing the Sabbath, there's a little bit of a deeper, a little bit of a deeper level to it that we oftentimes don't think about. So let's look at this commandment this morning, Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse uh, number eight, and we'll read through verse number 11. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible this morning. It says, remember the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. But you are to labor six days and do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. Your son, your daughter, your male or female servant, or your employees in our context, your livestock, or the resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them in six days, and then he rested on the seventh day, giving us a model to follow. And then it says, therefore, and because of this, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he declared that it is to be holy. Holy Spirit, I pray this morning that you would speak in this place. I pray that your word, God, would not go forth void. I pray that we would open our ears and open our hearts and tune our spirits and our souls into what you have for us today, because this is our food. This is our sustenance. And I pray this morning that I wouldn't get in the way. I pray, Lord God, that you would speak free and clear to your church this morning. We need you. We expect you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. And God's people said, amen. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. How many of you have heard that before? How many of you have a former version of that posted on your walls somewhere at home? 
right? We, we, uh, we've got Ten Commandments posted, I think, in two or three different places in our house now. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. This is the one commandment that I think if you were to stop a Christian on the street, or maybe somebody stopped you on the street and said, explain that to me, I think we get a whole litany of a bunch of different answers. Everybody's kind of got their idea of what this really means, because it's one of those that is so often overlooked, or it's also misunderstood. And that's kind of the first thing that we're looking at this morning. We're going to go ahead and dive right into the points. And I'm just going to say... The message this morning is going to be a little bit different than what uh, the messages that you're normally used to hearing from me. I'm going to be teaching for a good portion of the time, and then I'm going to preach for a small portion of the time at the end. And you're like, Pastor, I've never heard you preach for a small portion of time. All right? So I'm going to try to teach fast, and I'm going to preach even faster than that. Okay? So we're going to be looking this morning at the who's and the what's and the why's, and then we're going to be looking most importantly, or I'm sorry, the, the how's, the why's, the what's, and then most importantly, we're going to be looking at the who of the Sabbath day to hopefully get a better understanding of what God means by the fourth commandment. And I'll start off by saying this, is that even in the New Testament age, the Sabbath day or the idea of the Sabbath still applies. It may apply and be practiced in a different way, but the idea that God has behind it has never changed. This commandment is probably oftentimes the most overlooked, especially in the modern day today, because they look at it and say it's just an Old Testament idea. We don't even worship on the Sabbath day anymore, so therefore the Sabbath day, this fourth commandment doesn't really apply to us, right? The first three commandments that we've looked at, we see that they're huge and they carry a lot of weight. But when we look at this one, we think this is the one that I've got right. After all, you're in church today, right? So you're keeping the Sabbath, right? You're tuning in on the live stream. You may not be able to make it today in person, but you're tuning in. You're giving God time on a day. This is the Sabbath. I'm obeying the Sabbath. But it goes a little bit further than that. And here's the thing, too. If this is the one that if we break it, out of all the other commandments, we really don't feel that guilty about it, do we? Right? I mean, think about this. If you skip church, or if you work 21 days and ever take time for a Sabbath, you don't feel as guilty about that as if you had murdered somebody, or as if you stole something from somebody, or if you cheated on your spouse. See, those are some guilt-producing sins eventually. Eventually, guilt catches up with us. But you've probably never gone to see a counselor over breaking the Sabbath. Matter of fact, that's probably why, we'll see in just a minute, that's probably why you're going to see the counselor. Because of the effect of not taking the Sabbath has built up to you. You see, we don't usually trace the root of our problems in our life to breaking the fourth commandment. But here's the thing, breaking the fourth commandment will produce a lot of stress in our lives that God never intended for us to have in the first place. See, God is not a taskmaster. God is not someone who asks more of us than is fair. And this is why he even put it within his law. He said, you'll work for six days, but on the seventh day, take a rest. You need it. Take a Sabbath and rest, and rest in me. So it's the most overlooked, but it's also sometimes the most misunderstood. You see, in modern day, many people see the Sabbath as just like that Old Testament, Jewish-only kind of thing, and it doesn't really apply to the New Testament church. And it's true. It doesn't apply in the same way to us today as it did in the Old Testament. Now that Jesus has come, it's different. It looks a little bit different since we're living in a world after Christ. But in church life, most people apply the fourth commandment to mean simply go to church on Sunday. That's pretty much as far as the fourth commandment goes for most people. But the whole commandment is really addressing our work. And not so specifically our work, but our relationship to work. And how significant we make our work in our lives. I don't know about you, but I'm tempted to make work more than it should be in my life. How many of you say you struggle with workaholism? 
You're sitting there right now, and you're already making out a list of what you're going to do tomorrow when you get into the office. Or you're thinking of a way that you can fake sick so that you don't have to go into the office. That means work has really taken its toll on you too. You see, here's what the Bible says in verse number 9. You are to labor for six days, do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Now, how many of you would say this? I'm, I'm not, maybe I'm not a workaholic, but there's definitely stress in my life from work. Man, some of you guys have really got this nailed. That's good. That's good. But there are stresses in our life from work, whether it's the long hours, whether it's the long commute, whether it's the fact that there just seems to be more pressing down on you, or you've got a boss that just doesn't seem to get it. You feel like you know more than your boss or something like that. There's stress that comes from work all the time. And because we live in a 24-7 type of world today, it seems like we can't always turn off work. See, I'm on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can't always just turn off work. So it's, it's tough sometimes to have to, like, squeeze in Sabbath. And the Sabbath is not something that we should be squeezing in. And here's why work stresses us out for two specific reasons. Number one is because we come to depend on it more than we need to for the needs in our lives. I don't think there's anybody in our church, anybody in our church, actually our, our tithes represent that, but nobody in our church could stop working and just continue to just have your needs provided. You see, we are a people that live based upon the fruits of our labors. It's a biblical concept. If a man doesn't work, a man shouldn't eat. It's a biblical concept. But here's the other thing. We depend on it too much for the needs in our lives. It's just a given in life that we have to work for a living unless we're independently wealthy. And everybody will hate you if you're independently wealthy and don't have to work. But the Bible says if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. If we don't work, it affects the quality of our lifestyle. If I stop working or if we don't get paychecks, guess what happens? We don't get the things that we want. Our mortgage payments don't get paid. Money starts running out. There's less food in the refrigerator, and all those things start to take place. Unfortunately, too many people saw that during this pandemic when they couldn't go to work, and unemployment wasn't coming in, and things began to get tight. We know that too well right now within our society. We know the concept of I must work if I want to live. Work becomes the source of our livelihood. The problem with that is it's not the biblical way of looking at it. Work is not my livelihood. God is my livelihood who gives me my work to provide what he's already promised in his word that he will give me. So work stresses us out because we put it above God and say, this is my source of life. No, God is my source of life. Work falls underneath of that, and God has given that to me for his glory and for my good. The second way it stresses us out, and this is why a lot of people have problems and have security problems and all types of things, is because we wrap our identity up in our work, don't we? We wrap our identity up in work, don't we? I am a pastor, okay, or I am a, you fill in the blank with what you do. It's the second thing we ask about people when we meet them, right? Hi, I'm Derek. What's your name? Oh, my name's Jim. All right, man, what do you do for a living? That's what we do. We want to know a person's name, and we want to know what a person does for a living. That tells us a lot about a person. You know that. You've been somewhere and met someone, and eventually the, the conversation turns to what do you do, and immediately after you say what you do, people begin to size you up and begin to make value judgments based upon you because they know the going rate of whatever it is you do. You say, hi, I'm, if, I, if I were to one day come up and say, hi, I'm Dr. Holmes, all of a sudden people oh, doctor, they're wondering what kind of doctor it is. I'm never going to make it, by the way. Don't worry about it. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, that carries a little bit more clout. That means you're making more money. That means you've done a lot of study. That means you're doing this. You might be able to fix my, might be able to fix my broken toe. I don't know. What does the doctor mean? We have a lot of different identities wrapped up in what we do. 
And so what happens is, if you're one of these people who have a very high-paying, high-respected job in society, you love it when people ask you what you do. You're waiting for people to ask you what you do. But if you don't, you're kind of like, can we move on beyond that? And the problem is we get stressed out about that because we'll never get high enough. There's always someone a rung higher, and so we're always progressing further and further and further because it gives us better identity when the Bible says my identity is in who? A little cheat sheet here is the same answer as before. My identity is in God. My work is given to me by God as well. See, I did this too. When I was in college, I, I, uh, I, I wanted to be a lawyer, so I enrolled in, in college as pre-law, and I loved when people asked me what I was studying. Oh, I'm studying pre-law. And that was back before I got older and realized that uh, being a lawyer doesn't carry as much, like, respectable clout in, community, in the community, you know? I wondered, always wondered why when I said, oh, I'm studying to be a lawyer, and they all of a sudden grabbed their wallet. You know, I didn't realize why that was, and now I've come to understand that. It's not as noble as most people like to think it is when they start studying law. But it's usually the second thing we ask about people. Our work defines who we are. And we've got this so off base. My work doesn't provide what I need. God does. My identity is not in what I do to provide what I need. My identity is in Christ, and he is all I need. Catch that. That's so important. That will put us in the right framework to follow this commandment today. It's not about our work. It's about the glory and the honor that we're bringing to God through every aspect of our lives. Some of us would do well to sit and think, how am I, through my work, bringing glory and honor to God? So let's talk about the what's and the why's of the fourth commandment. There's two what's and two why's this morning. This is the teaching side of everything, okay? Exodus chapter 20, verses 10 through 11. Let's look at it again. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your female or male servant, your livestock, or the resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them. In six days he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. So the first what is simply this. He says, I want you to take one day, he told his people, I want you to take one day and do really nothing else but reflect on the fact that God created you. And he created everything around you. And who created the land that you're working with. This was a mostly agrarian society. So he created the land that they were working with. He created the seed that they had planted. He created the crop that they would one day harvest. And they were toiling so hard. None of that came if God didn't send the rain. None of that came if God didn't make the land prosperous. So he said, I want you to stop for a day of all your labor. And I want you to just think about the fact that I am your creator. And I have created everything that you're living off of. God makes special mention in verse number 11 how he created everything and he took time to rest on the seventh day. The question is, did God need to rest? No, he's God. He's all-powerful. He doesn't need to take a nap. He doesn't sleep. He's always up. That's why we can come to him 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Did he need to rest? No, but he knew we did. And he also rested, not because he needed that rest, but because he was reflecting on his work, which after every single day he created it, if you go back to the book of Genesis, he said this, my work is good. I don't know about you, but after a job well done, I like to sit back and just kind of reflect on that, right? This is why I like to fold laundry at the house. And I know, sweetie, I haven't been doing it as much as I, as I normally do. She's thinking, you must not like it much anymore. But I like to fold laundry. You know why? Because with my job as a pastor, there's very few times I can look back and see a finished product. So I like to fold laundry because I can look back and say, I did that. I finished that. There's something in a job well done, and that's what God did when he rested on the seventh day. He stepped back from a job well done, and he rested in it. Man, there's so much depth in that in what Jesus gives us. 
Salvation is Jesus' job well done in us, and we step back and we rest in his well done in us. That's our Sabbath today. So the first why, or the first what, is that God wanted them to take a day and think about creation and to help refocus them on that. The second thing we find in Deuteronomy chapter 5. So look over there if you would. Deuteronomy chapter 5, beginning in verse number 12. The word Deuteronomy simply means a second telling or a second helping. I have a lot of Deuteronomies when I eat. All right? I get a lot of second helpings. This is the Deuteron Deuteronomy is there as the second telling of the law. It's a rehashing of the law to another generation of, of God's people. And he says this in verse number 12 of Deuteronomy 5. Moses says, be careful to remember the Sabbath day. Doesn't that sound familiar? It was back in Exodus as well. Be careful to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Labor six days and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. Do not do any work. And then we go back through this again. Your son, your daughter, your male or female slave or servant, your ox or your donkey and any of your livestock or the resident alien who lives within your city gates so your male and female servants and slaves may rest as you do. But then it changes. He doesn't talk about creation. Look what he talks about in verse number 15. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out of there with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. And that is why the Lord your God has commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So he shifts from creation in Exodus. This is what you focus on. This is what you think about. And this is what you reflect on in your time off on Sabbath. Now he shifts it to what? He shifts it to redemption. So not only were they to take a day off to think about God's creation, but they, in their day off, were supposed to think about and reflect on God's redemption, that he brought them out of slavery, that he brought them out of bondage, that he was their security, and that he is their strength. So now on the Sabbath day, a person living in an agrarian society, nomadic really as they are, trying to, trying to go through everything and then trying to live off crops that are there and all those types of things, they're thinking, I can't really stop and take a day. If I do, it's like I'm going to fall behind, and God is saying, stop and think about the fact that I created everything you're working on. Stop and think about that I have redeemed you, that I carried you out of bondage. I will carry you through this day that you take off. And it refocused them, and it recentered them on the fact that they are God's children. They are not like everybody else. They are cared for, and they are loved, and they are chosen, and they are beloved by their Father. That's what the Sabbath does for us, folks. The Sabbath is to refocus us on what God thinks of us, that he cared enough to create us, that he cared enough to pull us out of bondage, that we got ourselves in. That's what the Sabbath does. That's the what of the Sabbath. But then there's two whys that we see as well. The first why, there's a practical reason. The practical reason is we need rest. Our bodies break down. We need to have rest. We need to have times when we just shut down and we're not always on. This is why so many people are struggling with anxiety and depression today in alarming rates, scientists say, is because of the advent of social media and the advent of emails and being able to take your work home with you. There's no time off. We never punch out anymore. And so we never truly shut down and we never truly rest. We never really truly do that. So we need it. I hear people a lot of times boast. They're like, yeah, I haven't had a day off in four straight weeks. I'd like to submit to you that if that's true, you're not an employee. You're a slave. I haven't had a day off in four straight weeks. You're not an employee. You're a slave. I also hear some people bragging and talking about, yeah, I haven't been able to take my family on vacation in like five years. One day you're going to get a vacation. It may not be called a vacation, but it's called burnout. And your family's going to suffer for that as well. 
God intended for us to take a Sabbath because not only is it a holy thing to do, it is a healthy thing to do. It is a healthy thing to do. The second reason is a spiritual reason, and it's simply this, that we need regularly to refocus on God. We need regularly to refocus on God. As human beings, we are terrible marksmen. And what I mean by that is, we are terrible shots when it comes to hitting our aim, which is supposed to be God. How many times do we need to be reminded, your life is not your own? How many times do we need to be reminded, this world is not my home? How many times do we need to be reminded, the stresses of this world can be carried by a loving God? We need to be reminded on a regular basis. This is why getting in the Word of God every day is important. Not only important, it is vital to our spiritual success and our spiritual survival. But the Sabbath is important because after a week of work, after a week of toiling, after a week of seeing all and dealing with the stress, dealing with the struggle, and dealing with all of this, we need to stop, refocus, fix our eyes on God, and rest in Him. It is not only spiritually holy, but also physically healthy to take that Sabbath. We need to focus on creation, the fact that everything that we have comes from Him. Everything, every blessing that we have comes from Him. A lot of us speak of things as being mine. Mine. Stacy is my wife. Natalie and Noel are my daughters, and I love one of them a lot. No, I'm just teasing. I love them both very much, equally as well. We speak of things in the possessive, but the truth is, from a biblical standpoint, nothing is a possessive. Stacy is God's child that God has brought, me, brought to me to be my partner in life. Natalie and Noel are God's creation that have been given to me on loan from him, and he is theirs. And as I am his, I relate to them in a better way. You see how all these things, we think, that's my car, that's my house, that's my job. All of these things are God's given to us. And if we don't make them, and we don't respect them as being God's, capital G, we will then make them God's little g's in our lives. Is what we'll do. We also need to focus on the redemption that God gives us as well. And let me just let you off the hook today. I guarantee you that when you stand before God and the end of your life is there, the thing you're going to regret most is not going to be, man, I wish I spent more time in the office closing that deal that got away. That's not going to be the thing that we thought about. Never. It's going to be, man, I wish I'd spent more time with his son. Man, I wish I'd spent more time serving him. Once you see the power and the majesty of God... The stuff of this earth is not going to seem as significant in our lives. So the fourth commandment is a call for us to intentionally take the time to rest in God's power and to rest in His mercy and to rest in His grace and to refocus ourselves as dependent on Him and grateful for Him and what He has done and is doing in our lives. And that's what brings us to the big idea this morning, is that keeping a Sabbath ensures that God, not our work, not anything else remains our primary focus and the source of identity and our trust for the future. Keeping a Sabbath will ensure and refocus us that not our work, not all that other stuff, only God is the stuff that our soul truly longs for. Because our work is so central to who we are, our identity can quickly be wrapped up in that. But what would happen if God's people would all of a sudden become enraptured and overjoyed by, the fact, by just that, that we are God's people? 
rather than we're this or we're that or we're the most powerful or we're the, most, we're the, we're the majority or what if we just got wrapped up in the fact that we belong to him? Because after we breathe our last breath, that's the only thing that's gonna matter anyway. It's the only thing. So let's look at the how of the fourth commandment this morning. How? How should I keep the Sabbath? Well, that's kind of divided down into a couple things. There's the Old Testament observance, and then there's the New Testament observance. So keeping the Sabbath in the Old Testament Jewish system was pretty straightforward, and it was pretty much set in stone. No pun intended there, right? Because right? it was in the stone tablets. And I was told that I was funny last week. I guess this week has kind of faded away. I don't know. Uh, or maybe, see, well, here's what I think. My humor is just like up here. And everybody's a bill. No, I'm just teasing. I'm not gonna. I'm not. <laughs> it's not me. It's it's no. It's not you. It's me. All right. There we go. That's that's how it works. So just as it said, the Sabbath day was the last day of the week. It was Saturday. That was the Sabbath in the Old Testament. He said, work for six days: Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then you take off Saturday and you think about me and you worship and you do all of these things. That was the Jewish week. That was the way God intended for everything to go. And so the Sabbath day was on Saturday. It was the last day of the week. And on that day of the week, you were to do absolutely nothing. And here's the thing about it. To the Jewish person living in the ancient world in an agrarian society, this was not an easy commandment to observe. It wasn't easy for them because they didn't have a lot of free time on their hands. Most of their time was, bent, was, was spent just trying to survive. They had to go out and check the crops. They had to check the livestock because that was their livelihood. Every day was a quest for survival, and you couldn't take a day off from that. And so when God says, work for six days, that's great. And then he says, take the day off and do nothing. They're thinking, how am I supposed to do that? The crops have to be watered. The livestock has to be fed. They weren't allowed to do any of that. It was hard for them to follow. Even today, many of you are probably feeling that way as well. Maybe it's work. Maybe you're working two, maybe three jobs, and you're thinking, I can't take a day off or everything will fall behind. First of all, let me ask you to stop and think, how much of everything am I absolutely needing in my life? All this stuff I'm working with, how much am I actually needing in my life? And second of all, can God not be trusted? That's the bigger question. And that was the question that was laid before the, the, the Jewish people in the Old Testament. Can God be trusted? And here again, God was trustful, trustworthy enough to create us. God was trustworthy enough to bring us out of bondage. Can he not be trusted to take care of a day of farming for me? And that was the lesson that they were called to every week. It was a test of faith. Today for us to kind of equate that, I think the test of faith is in our generosity and in our giving. For some of you, 10%, not a big deal. For others, 10% is a big deal. It's a big deal. And so what he's saying is, you can have 90, I need the 10, and with that 10, I want you to trust me that I'm going to take care of you. That was the same kind of idea and the same kind of concept for the Jewish people with the Sabbath day. Not only was it hard, but legalism, as legalism kind of came into play, it made, it made the Sabbath a distracting drudgery instead of a refocusing event. See, what happened was along the way, especially when Jesus kind of came, uh, came around, by the time Israel got settled in and his time progressed, the Pharisees began to develop all these extra laws to help you keep the Ten Commandments and the other commandments. They'd set up almost like guardrails. We talked about this a little bit a couple of years ago when we preached the Ten Commandments. The Pharisees, because when God would say, do not do this, or keep the Sabbath, they would set up all of these other laws so that you had to follow those laws so you wouldn't even get close to breaking the law that God gave. And so the Pharisees set up all of these...
subsidiary laws. When it said, do not do any work, they began to define what that meant. And so you got some crazy, I mean, some crazy stuff come out of that. Do you realize that according to Jewish law, when Jesus walked the earth, you could not spit on Saturday? Because if you spit on Saturday and it hit the sand, it may make mud, and that would be considered to be making mud, and you would be creating or making something, you would be doing work on Saturday. You couldn't cook, so you had to do all your cooking on Friday to make sure that everything was set up there. There were 15 ways that a person could break the Sabbath law. You couldn't eat an egg that was laid on the Sabbath. You couldn't eat an egg because it would be, you would have to crack that egg on the Sabbath, so therefore you couldn't do that. If you got a tack or a rock in your sandal, you had to stop immediately and take it out, or you might be accused of carrying an extra weight on the Sabbath day. Oh, you could drink some vinegar. I don't know why you would want to, but if you had a toothache, you couldn't swish it in your mouth, or you would be guilty of healing on the Sabbath. <clears throat> I love this one. If a flea or a fly started to bite you, you couldn't swat it away because you would be guilty of hunting on the Sabbath. You couldn't light a fire on the Sabbath, no matter how cold it got. You couldn't, like I said, you couldn't spit because you would be making mud. There was one loophole which Jesus pointed out to the Pharisees when he was kind of pointing out their hypocrisy. He said, there had become a law that if your ox fell in a ditch, you could go and rescue it out because if it fell in the ditch, it would die and you wouldn't have it on Sunday to start working. But get this, if your family member, your kids fell in the ditch, leave them until Monday or leave them until Sunday. This is how much of a drudgery. Now, let me ask you this. Does all of those laws and all those rules put you in the mood to just worship? Matter of fact, don't lift your hands in praise because, you know, that's work on the Sabbath. Matter of fact, none of us would be able to come to church because it would be considered to be traveling too far on the Sabbath. So the New Testament observant comes around, Jesus comes around, and Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, and it changes that. See, the day observed switched to a Sunday. In the New Testament, we don't look at Saturday as our Sabbath anymore. We look to Sunday as the Lord's Day. We don't necessarily celebrate the Sabbath or observe the Sabbath. We observe the Lord's Day. What's interesting to me as I was studying and kind of preparing for this, I found this out, that when the framers of the United States, when the founding fathers of the United States kind of came together to kind of lay out, you know, how society would roll and how all that stuff would go, they wanted to make sure that they, had, that they were respectful of the Jewish culture, and they wanted to make sure that they were respectful of the Christian calendar as well. This is why we have Saturday and Sundays off in our, work, in our standard work week. Because they were respecting both. They wanted to make sure both had their days of worship. So we can thank the, the Jewish people and we can thank the Christians for, for, for having that. All right? But the question is, why did the early Christians, most of whom grew up as Jewish people, traditionalists in the Jewish way, why did they feel bold enough to switch their day from Saturday to Sunday? How bold that had to have been. Why did they feel that they could do that? Well, that's because everything that became important to them in Jesus Christ happened on Sunday. For instance, Jesus was raised from the dead on Sunday. The resurrection changes everything. It even changes the day that we worship. Jesus met with his disciples on the first day in Mark chapter 16, verse 11. All of the significant events after Jesus' resurrection, when he met with the disciples, he imparted the Holy Spirit, he gave the Great Commission, and he ascended into heaven. All of those things happened on the first day of the week. You can find that in John chapter 20 and Matthew chapter 28. The day of Pentecost, the day that Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit on the church, happened on the first day of the week in Acts chapter 2. Even the canon of Scripture was completed with the book of Revelation, which we are told was given and inspired in a vision by, from God to John on the island of Patmos. And it says in Revelation chapter 1, verse number 10, it said it was on the first day of the week and the Lord came to me. 
Even the canon of Scripture was finished on the first day of the week. The early church met for worship on the Sunday, according to Acts chapter 20. You know why they did that? Because on Saturday, the temple was open for Jewish worship. So on Sunday, they met on the first day. Collections and offerings were taken and received on the first day of the week as well. Not only did the day change, the spirit of the day changed. So you go back from all that drudgery and all, that, all that, that gloom of having to take a day off and all of that stuff and follow all these laws and everything to now it was a day of joy. Why? Because they were celebrating Christ, the one who had fulfilled the law, the one who had given them liberty and hope and had freed them from all of this stuff. Jesus had fulfilled it. See, now all of a sudden, it's not a day of obligation. It's a day of joy and opportunity to worship. It's not a day of legalism. It's a day of liberty. And it's not a day of selfishness. It becomes a day of service. This is why some of you are going to come back and begin to help put stuff together for the Hope Center. Because our Lord's Day becomes a day that we serve the Lord with gladness. And this is the reason for our last point this morning as we move to an invitation time. Let's talk about the who of the Sabbath for real, really quick. The who of the Sabbath. And I'm not talking about the band, the who. I'm talking about the who. First of all, in the Old Testament, who is the who of the Sabbath? God is the who of the Sabbath. When God instituted the Sabbath, he said, I want you to take a day off from all of your work, all the distractions, all the stuff, all the noise, and I want you to fix your eyes firmly on me. Fix your eyes on me. And there's something amazing that happens when we fix our eyes on God. We get recalibrated. I talk a lot of times about when I go on vacation to the beach, I love to just go out and sit in the ocean before a lot of people get there and just look out and see the vastness of that blue. It kind of recenters me. It makes me realize how small I am and how big God is. Or look up on a starry night and just kind of take in the vastness of the universe. It makes me realize how big God is and how little I am. And how he's got everything under control. Everything. Not one star fizzles out without God knowing about it and God approving it. He's got you. He's got us. So that becomes my Sabbath moment, just focusing on God, because focusing on God recenters us and recalibrates us in this world. Even in Exodus chapter 16, when the Israelites were wandering through the wilderness and they couldn't stop and lay down crops and do all that stuff, you know what God said? I'll be your Sabbath. I'm going to provide you manna every day. Here's the thing with manna, though. Only take what you need for the day. Because you need to trust that tomorrow I'm going to provide it for you too. So there were some people who tried to take extra manna and stock it up and put it in little glass farmhouse jars, you know, and put it up on their, you know, on, on their coffee table so it would look all pretty and everything and real, real chic and stuff. And guess what happened? They wake up the next day and it's all maggots. Why? Because they had shown, I'm not trusting you for tomorrow, or I'm not trusting you for tomorrow, God. I'm only going to take what I see in front of me today. Even what God had provided. You see, the focus of the Old Testament Sabbath was God. The Sabbath observance was a recognition of God as the one true provider of their needs, and he came through for them every single time. You know what? That hasn't changed for us. God comes through for us every single time. And here's the thing that we have to understand as well, and this is important. Write it down, tattoo it on your forehead, whatever you need to do. Don't tattoo it on your forehead. That is not a good idea, but remember it. When we break the fourth commandment, it points to the fact that we don't believe the first commandment. God ceases to be our God when we cannot focus on him. When we say, I don't have enough time to focus on him, you can't say that he's your God. You just can't. And now we look at the big who here. In the New Testament Sabbath, the one that affects us today, Jesus is the who of the New Testament Sabbath. 
See, where God is the who that focuses on the Old Testament Sabbath, Jesus is the focus of the New Testament. More adequately, he's not just the focus, he is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. This is what the early church believed, and this is why we now worship Christ on Sunday instead of observing Sabbath on the Saturday. See, in the book of, the Col in the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 2, it says this, Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food or drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These are all a shadow of what was to come. The substance, the reality, the wholeness is Christ. He is not just part of the Sabbath. He is our Sabbath. Jesus is the Sabbath of the soul. Christ has freed us from the technicalities of the Sabbath law. You see, the great reality revealed, all of that stuff back in the Old Testament, the feasts and the laws and all those things, were things that were left to point us to a greater reality, which is Jesus. Matter of fact, even looking at it today, looking at the Old Testament and looking at the, the, the laws, the four that we've looked through so far, how many of you can say, can look at the four that we've looked at for, the four that we've looked at and say, not guilty? None of us. Every one of us look at each one of them, each one of them, and say, guilty is charged. And what are we left to do within our guilt? <laughs> we plead the blood of Christ. Jesus covers all of our failures when it comes to God's expectation for us. He doesn't just cover. He doesn't just do that for us. He doesn't just give us that. He is our covering. He is our righteousness. And Jesus is our Sabbath. When Jesus resurrected from the dead, he conquered sin and death, but he also brought rest to us. Because when we look at death, we know we don't have to fear it, for we know that we will live forever with him. He has, as the word says, taken the sting out of death. Therefore, there is rest in Jesus Christ. And that's what brings me to the very end of all of this. Jesus, Jesus is the Sabbath of our soul. Jesus is our Sabbath. The question that we ask this morning as we move to a time of invitation, is he your Sabbath today? See, that's the, I know I gave you the big idea, but this is the bigger, big idea. That Jesus is the Sabbath of our soul. Matthew chapter 28, or Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, he says this. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened or are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why did Jesus talk about the weary and the burden or the heavy laden? Because he knows that we're too prideful to admit that our souls are broken down, burned out, and used up without him. This is why Jesus says, come to me, all you who are tired and weary, because guess who the tired and weary are? All of us. Every last one of us. You may say, I don't feel that tired and weary. Ask your soul. Ask your soul if it feels tired and weary. Your body may not, but your soul does. Or your body may feel tired and weary, but your soul doesn't have to. Without the grace and mercy of Christ, all our souls can do is work and work and try and try to hit the mark, spinning our wheels and never getting anywhere to dig out of the sin and death and the grave that we are in. But with Christ, one mention of salvation, one mention of need, one mention of repentance to God, and Jesus pulls us out of that pit and he sets our feet upon a rock and he gives us life everlasting. Come to me who are weary and heavy laden, are burdened and broken down, and I will be your rest. I won't just give you rest, I will be your rest. In me you find rest for your souls. And that's the question this morning, do you have rest in your soul today?
that you have rest. So we pride ourselves on being a society and a generation that is incredibly advanced. I saw not too long ago that in 1900, back in the year 1900, scientists discovered that it takes about 100 years for the, the amount of human knowledge on earth to double its size. By 1945, it took 25 years for it to double. By 1984 or 85, it only took 12 months. Guess what it takes today? For all of the knowledge and all of the information in, in our world to double, it only takes 12 hours. All the information in our world will double twice today. And we wonder why we're stressed out. Most of that information is doubling on TikTok. <laughs> but all that information is doubling every 12 hours. We think we're awesome. Did you know that the phone that you have in your purse or in your pocket or in your hand scrolling TikTok right now while you're supposed to be listening to the sermon? Do you know that this has more processing power in it than all the computers that put the first human beings on the moon combined? We're capable of amazing things, but here's the problem. We're never going to be smart enough to figure out how to conquer sin. We're going to need a savior. And all the processing power in the world is not going to get us past the moon and the stars and the universe into the portals of heaven. We're going to need Jesus Christ. This is why the Sabbath refocuses us and recenters us on it. It says, take your eyes off of all the stuff and fix them back on me. And so that's the question we close with. Where are your eyes? Are they fixed on Jesus or are they fixed on other things? It's time to fix them on him. And the part of Jesus being our Sabbath means that our Sabbath is not just on Saturday. It's not just on Sunday. Our Sabbath is 24 hours a day, seven days a week in Jesus Christ. Find your rest in him. Heavenly Father, I pray you'll have your will and way in this service and this invitation now in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand this morning, if you need to come for whatever reason, if you need to come to trust Jesus as your Savior, do that today. Don't wait. Don't say, wait for a better day. That's like somebody saying on the sixth day, I'll just work through the Sabbath. I mean, that would get them killed back then. And you know what? Continuing to put off finding Sabbath in Jesus will lead to death too. Don't put it off. If you're here this morning, you say, I'm saved, but I've been kind of skipping it. I have distancing myself from Jesus. I can't seem to find closeness with him anymore. Come today. Let's talk about it. Let's pray about it. Let's do business with him. Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about his grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section, or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 1030 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.